Welcome back to another episode of the Gator Maven podcast brought to you by Sports Illustrated. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. Make sure to throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, as well as my co-host, Graham Marsh. You can find him at Graham Marsh UF. And of course, you can find us over at Gator Maven at Gator Maven SI. Check out the website, si.com slash college slash Florida. We're bringing you the content every day on Florida Gators football, as well as basketball being right around the corner. Practices are underway. We're working on getting our credentials now so we can come to you live from practices, games, yada, yada, yada. So we're excited about that. We're excited about the Gators coming to uh, rebound this week against their former head coach, Will Muschamp, and his South Carolina Gamecocks, who are Fresh off of a win over the formerly number three Georgia Bulldogs, knocking the Bulldogs below the Gators in the AP poll for the first time in the regular season since 2016. You know, great feeling for the fan base after a loss. As Graham said it, it was probably a best case scenario loss for the Gators. And I'm going to let you go ahead and explain that a little bit, Graham. Yeah, um, I'll go in on that in a second, but I have two very fast points. One that has to do with the Gators, the other one does not. Oh, first, please don't, please don't do what I think you're going to do. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Okay, I'm not. Cool. First, we are entering into the best time of the year, folks. We are very close to a beautiful utopian society of NFL football, college football, NBA basketball, and college basketball all being on at the same time. If that's not beautiful, I don't know what is. That's poetic. That is poetic. That is poetic. Don't forget hockey, too. Don't forget the NHL. NHL regular <laughs> season's okay. I love playoff hockey. Playoff hockey's awesome, dude. Well, I mean, even just going and watching an Iceman game, man, up in Jacksonville. Oh, that's true. Dude, going to hockey games is awesome. It's I used to never blast. care about hockey. Went to a hockey game um, when I first moved to Nashville. I lived in Nashville for four years. Went to a Preds game. And it was before they were even really good because they had, like, a really good stretch for a couple years. But it was before that. They were just, like, a mediocre team. And it was so fun, dude. I had a blast. And it was just, like, me and my dad. Like, we just went to the game, and it was awesome. Mm -hmm. So much fun. But, uh, yeah, the other thing is, what is it with um, ex-Florida coaches going to coach at South Carolina? Steve Spurrier and then Muschamp. What, what is it with that? I, I, I didn't know if there were more than that. <laughs> yeah, it's just those two. Still. But, like, that's kind of weird. I'm, what is it? Everyone downgrades at some point. Yeah, that's true. That's mm -hmm. true. That is true. It's a way to rebound. South Carolina likes to look in the trash for ex-coaches. <laughs> yeah. We we certainly were making a couple of jokes about Muschamp uh, Champ the other day. Yeah, because I mean Spurrier was obviously well above a trash college coach, one of the best coaches ever. But he had gone through a recycling bin in the NFL, <laughs> and yeah. he was he was pretty down when he went to South Carolina. But anyway, um, yeah. So so LSU, I wrote about this earlier in the week. Um, yeah, it, it was really it really was a best case scenario loss for Florida, and and I mean most people said this before the game, and I think anybody, any fan, any writer, any anyone. Um, that's able to be, you know, objective about this can can look back and say, look, really, and and I I said this two weeks ago before the Auburn game, I, I was saying, you know, look, Georgia and Jacksonville is kind of a, um, it, it might be different now, but I viewed it as kind of a coin flip, um, and that's kind of a, a season defining game. So I was gonna I was I was keeping that game in front of me, and then I was looking at these two weeks and I was saying, okay, Auburn and LSU, you need one. You need to win one. If you go one on one, I think any Gator fan, with with where the Gators are right now, where they are, um, with the direction of the program, where Mullen is, 
Uh, I think that you should be, as a fan, extremely happy with one and one in those games. And Auburn was the far more winnable game. It was at home. Auburn's not as good as LSU. Uh, uh, Joe Burrow might. I don't know if there's a quarterback in college football playing better football right now than Joe Burrow. Right. So, and it's not like they weren't in that game. Exactly. That's that's my next point. Was they they didn't get killed? You know, all, all I was all I was uh, looking for when Florida went to LSU was just don't get killed. Mm-hmm. Go play a good game. You know, at the end of the third quarter, I want to be not sure who's going to win. Right. You know, it just as long as the game's not over by then, then I think you need to be living as a Gator fan. I think you need to be living as as a player on the team, as a coach, as whoever that that watches and follows the Gators. You need to look right now at 6 and 1 and say, "Very happy with this." You know, if you'd have beaten LSU, it would have been really cool. But it's it's a very okay game to lose, and you only drop two spots in the polls. And if you beat Georgia, that's really not going to matter. So they still, I hate the phrase control your own destiny because that's a contradiction. That doesn't even make sense. You can't control a destiny. Right. That's the point of destiny. But you get what the phrase means. I get what they're saying, and Mullen has said that this week already. And for what they're trying to say in the phrase, it is true. They do still control Anything anything that Florida wants in this season, they can still go get. Right. You know, they're not they're not out of a, a playoff a potential playoff berth. Even though that's still doubtful, but they're not out of it. It's still very possible they could do that. Well, LSU moving up to two just only speaks to the quality of the loss that it was. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And I, I saw then I got a notification on my phone right when the poll came out that LSU moved up to two. Um and I hadn't seen yet what Florida was. But I was looking at it, I was like, okay, the fact that LSU moved up to two mm-hmm. tells me the floor didn't move very far. Right. Because that tells me that, you know, the pollers think a lot of Florida at this point. Right. I think the past two weeks, a lot of people were questioning Florida. They didn't, they looked shaky against Miami, looked shaky against Kentucky, and then did have just played really nobody outside of that. Um, p- people were, were doubting Florida. They were saying Florida's not legit. They're not really a top 10 team. And they've proven in the last two weeks, yes, they are. They absolutely are. So, to go into Baton Rouge against a red-hot Joe Burrow and to only lose by 14, you would have lost by less without that last pick. I I think you have to be very okay with this loss. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. And we saw enough out of them to understand what really caused the loss. You know, People were questioning, would Kyle Trask actually be able to play in a shootout? He did for three quarters. And, you know, things got bad when they had nothing coming off the edge. The rest of, the, you know, that tells you how important this edge group is beyond just their production, but the leadership that John Grenard and Jabari Zuniga have, you know, offered. Guys were getting out of their fits. You know, they allowed a ton of rushing yards, uh, some icers, stuff like that. We saw a good defensive performance before both of those guys went down, comparatively speaking to what LSU was doing to defenses prior to that. So I, I, I understand that there's disappointment in the defense for the final result. But it's going to take a lot of nitpicking to say that this defense truly isn't as good as what we thought it was going into the game. So speaking of nitpicking in detail, I know that you yourself love, love a good bit of football detail. A little so bit. Um, it, it was something I wrote about, uh, and, and I want your take on it, Zach. Um, we were talking about um, trading coming out of the game. 
Marco Wilson to star, Kyrie Elam to outside corner. They did that later in the game, and, and listen, LSU's offense was still rolling. They were still cooking. Right. It was still really hard to stop. But do you think that's something that they'll consider more going forward? How realistic do you think it is that they pretty much stop counting on Trey Dean? Uh, he, he, he's listed as a starter this week in the depth chart. Mm-hmm. So we know that – or we don't know, but we, we assume that starting out in the game, the first drive or two, Trey Dean's going to be in the game playing star. That's what we're assuming. And that's what's probably going to happen. But what if South Carolina moves the ball pretty effectively the first couple drives? Well, what has Florida said all year about guys on defense? That they love the idea of guys being positionally versatile. Yep. You see it with Amari Bernie. You see it with what you know they've tried to do at safety and trying different guys back there. Guys along the defensive line like Zachary Carter being able to go in and out, kind of like what Zuniga was doing last year. Uh, even in some alignments, uh, Adam Schuler was technically an end. He was just you know playing really outside for a tackle. But they love guys that can move around. So the idea of being able to move Marco inside after he's been doing so well at corner, that's great. What's going to be most important is you know the vice versa of that, and it's Trey Dean being able to move outside because he's not going to play safety. I, I know that I, I love the idea of him playing safety because he's lengthy as can be. He's athletic. He's a guy that would thrive back there. But I don't think that that's going to happen. There's been whispers that he just – doesn't want to play safety, which is fine, but he's played corner before. It wasn't perfect, but he did a pretty good job as a true freshman. What's going to be important is if they're going to be moving Marco in, they need to be able to move Trey Dean out. Even if Kyrie Elam's doing a good job, you want that flexibility to go both ways and not just be one-sided. So so you would think that it would be more of a switch of positions for Marco and Trey Dean than it would be taking Trey Dean out and relying on Kyrie Elam. Not to make him like a starter or flip their positions entirely, but being able to do that transition in a game rather seamlessly, whether it's Elam coming in. And this is something that Trayvon Grimes talked about last night with the receivers is like they love standing at the hip of Coach Gonzalez during the game. No one likes to sub out of a football game. They want to play every damn rep that there is. But what's more important and it's kind of like the same thing with the receiver splitting the load in terms of production is the ability, you know, to rely on the depth that you have, the flexibility that you have to keep a team at a hundred percent. So, you know, that's asking a lot of Marco Wilson to be a damn good corner inside and out at just the drop of a hat without, you know, as good as Kyrie Elam might end up being, he's still a true freshman. He was a summer enrollee and he struggled at the start of camp. So things have been pretty quick for him to turn it on. You need to be able to rely on a dude in Trey Dean who came in and played well at outside corner to be able to go back out there and do that. And he, and he didn't move back out there against LSU. So maybe that's something they work in this week with the star position being a question mark at this point. I'm all for moving guys to literally anywhere, move CJ Henderson back to safety for all I care. Like have some, not, really because he's great where he's at but you understand what i mean like i love the idea of flexibility but it needs to be able to go all around and not just um not just versatility to to get sub to sub out and get reps get equal reps or you know distribute the reps well but to mix and match based on who you're playing right yeah that's the most important thing for them they said they loved the matchup that marco wilson presented at star, they didn't. Talk, right. They didn't say a word about Trey Dean and why he got pulled out. They loved the right. matchup 
for Marco Wilson at star. Right, and and some of that's coach speak. You don't want to down talk your player, but but it does make sense because Marco is such a good cover corner. And the other thing is Marco is not huge, and the one thing that Marco has struggled at this year, and he struggled a little bit his freshman campaign before he got hurt, is against big receivers. Mm-hmm. And if you're in star, anytime you're man to man or just guarding anyone, it's going to be usually a slot guy that's not as big. Right. So that that allows him to not have to be put in those huge size disadvantages like he's been put in, like against Kentucky. Um, and Tennessee, to an extent, Tennessee's quarterback was so bad it didn't matter. But, like, it allows him to not have to be in those situations if he's, if he's a star. Right. And it allows him to really be able to show off his really impressive cover skills. And then Trey Dean and Kyer Elam are a little bit bigger. And they're, they're a little more physical, a little stronger. So then you get them outside against potentially big receiver. Because, like, I mean, I'm thinking later down the line, Florida State's not any good, but they, they got big receivers. Tamori and Terry's a big guy. Yeah. And what if C.J. Henderson's got to come out for a couple plays? Who's guarding him? I would probably rather trade Ener Kyer Elam just because of their sheer size than Marco. Mm-hmm. Because I think Marco's a better corner than them, but Marco's not that big. And Tamori and Terry's a huge receiver. And not to go all the way to FSU, but that, that's just an example um, for context of what we're talking about. But yeah, and and like you said, you, you said that um, Grantham was talking matchups. And that's all this is, is matchups. And if you've got versatile guys that can play star, outside corner, safety, that allows you to mix and match body on body the best guy to cover him. And that's when you see a really good defense. Mm-hmm. And I think that they were maybe a little late to it against LSU. I think that's also a, mar- a product of LSU just being really damn good. And there's only so much you can do against an offense that good, especially when Grenard and Zuniga both go down. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree that the mix and matching works, for sure. And, I mean, that's, that's something, like I said, that you see across the entirety of the roster. It's what they want to be able to do. They do it at quarterback, mixing and matching, bringing in different guys. And Emory Jones said he likes that suspense of being able to just get plugged in without knowing when it's going to happen, flip the script, and things go Florida's way. It's telling about Dan Mullen. It's telling about. I think the it allows staff. you as a player to not think as much. Absolutely, you get to react. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and that's. I mean, it's a testament to what this coaching staff is able to do. Because it's kind of like you know, if, if Mullen were to were to tell Emory before the game, "Hey, you're coming in second drive, third play, something like that," then he's going to be sitting there until that play, just thinking. Yeah. Just and probably thinking too much. But if if he just gets thrown in whenever, then that doesn't really allow him to think. It, it forces him to just go play and be him. What do you think of his role at this point and how he did against LSU, Emery? I, I really liked him playing. I thought Mullen used him masterfully, except the only thing I, I don't love um, about him going in or about how, he, how and when he goes in, I should say. Um, I don't love at this point necessarily him starting drives because I think – that Florida has such a hard time getting run penetration. And when Emory's in, they, they run, they're run heavy as much as I wish he'd throw more. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality. They're, they're really run heavy when Emory's in the game. Um, and I think that the first couple plays of a drive, Florida really needs to air it out. And I think Trask gives you that better option. I like Emory more when you're, when you're five, six plays into a drive and you've gotten a first down or two and the defense has looked at and 
and they've set up for one thing and then you throw an Emory and it's a totally different wrench that they don't know mm-hmm. what to do. And that's what I dislike when people say hot hand, if that makes sense. I understand, you know, if Kyle Trask is just going off, you don't want to pull him out. But it's strategic football. It's the same people that are saying, like, hey, don't question what Dan Mullen does because he's a genius with why, like, why do you want Emory Jones to play more when that's exactly what he's doing? Same thing that we were just talking about, taking advantage of matchups. If Kyle Trask is five for five and they have two first downs, but they've only moved like, you know, 20, 30 yards, it's not like they've pulled off like back to back bombs and are in the red zone. Yeah, I don't care that he's 100% at that point. If the matchup favors Emory, bring in Emory. And does one does one or two plays kill Trask's heat if he's going off? It when has it yet? Yeah, and I think if you leave Emory in for six plays, then maybe. But if you leave, if you have Emory go in for one or two plays, for a read option, whatever, then I mean, if Trask is hot, he's going to stay hot. Coming out yeah. for one play is not going to change that. That gives him a breather. It gives him a second to yeah. analyze what's ahead. If of anything, him. and you're also talking about a quarterback that's had some injury history in Kyle Trask. Mm-hmm. So if you get to take less. If you get to give him less of a load as far as the punishment he takes, I'm all for that too. That, that That's a part that I feel like people aren't talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't love late in the Auburn game when they were running him. Same against LSU when they tried to run him a couple times. Exactly, and I wasn't a fan of that. And I'm like, if you're going to do that, just put Emory in. Let him, because, I mean, he's faster, he's more athletic, it's going to be more effective anyway. Mm-hmm. People knew that he was going to be running the ball, and he still averaged nearly, I think, five yards per carry the other night. There was one play where it's been it's been around on Twitter – Gene DeLance didn't block a soul. And everyone in the stadium knew that Emory Jones was going to run the ball, and he still got 10 yards. Mm-hmm. And it's because the dude's fast. He's slippery. He knows where to go. He has good field, he has good field vision. He sells the fake handoffs really well. He does, he does, all, he does everything right mm-hmm. in running the ball. So I totally trust Emory to go in the game. But, again, I like him more in the middle of drives because I think that if you have him start out the drive, I think that it allows defenses to get in the set they want against him. Right. And I think that don't don't get me wrong, I totally think that Emory Jones could step in and be the starter right. and perform well. Right. I'm not saying he can't, but I'm saying per with how Florida with how the Florida offense operates right now, they use Emory in the packages they like and the matchups they like and the he he presents a disadvantage for the defense in some way. Right. And they're doing that because that's the most advantageous for the Florida offense right now because Kyle Trask is playing good football. So don't put him in to start a drive and allow the defensive coordinator to set his guys up correctly to prepare against Emory. Put him in on play four or five when they've prepared for Trask and they've prepared for more downfield throwing. And then you all of a sudden toss Emory in and they don't have a bunch of time to prepare. So that's when you really get the mismatch. It's not a mismatch when you're giving him plenty of time to adjust to Emory. Right. So that, that, that's kind of my take on it. And let Emory throw more. Please. That, Especially downfield. Give, give him a deep shot. Why can't Emory throw a deep shot? I, I, whether I, it's, I, whether I, it's I, a what, deep shot or not, just let him throw to the middle of the field. It could be five yards down the field or it could be 50 because he can get the ball there both like no matter what. He's done it one time this year in a meaningful game. And he brought Florida down to a field goal against Auburn, against a really good defense. Yeah, and that throw to Pitts that was broken up by Del Pitt was as good as it could be. And he had a dime to Swain, like yeah. a fifteen yard, a fifteen yard, really good throw to Swain. So Emory's proven he can do that. But even without that, let him take a deep shot. I've been screaming it for weeks. 
Maybe they're waiting to do it against Georgia like they did last year or something. I don't know, but the man throws a good deep ball. Mm-hmm. And it and, gets defenses off of the scent that he's running the ball. Exactly. The and, first play you've got him on the field on that you know fifth or sixth play of a drive. Do it. Yeah, exactly. Do it. Because they're gonna they're gonna think, oh, Emory's in the game, they're running it. And they're gonna crash. And if you if you give me a play action and you give me Van, you give me Tyree, you give me Trayvon Grimes deep down the field, you can't tell me that guy's not gonna be in single coverage. He's gonna be in single coverage, he's probably gonna have a step. I don't know if you saw me retweet it. I don't know if you watched the Green Bay game on Monday night. I watched some. Did you see that play that Aaron Jones dropped the ball up the seam on that? like designed play uh called jello no i didn't so they we had a flag football game we won by the way gardner Minshew's mustache there you go that's what we're doing here (laughs) well speaking of flag football i'm going to be running this game or this play um so they had i think it was three wide a tight end lining up in line and out of the gun aaron jones lining up to the right side and they had the the single outside receiver to the right won an outside release go. They had the inline tight end to the right. This would be Kyle Pitts uh, running a skinny post, and the two. They had the outside receiver on the left side running an outside release go, and the slot receiver fakes a jet sweep and runs a little screen to draw linebackers and safeties down into the box, and Aaron Jones runs an outside release seam. Totally uncovered. You mean to tell me that on a play where they're already suspecting Emory Jones to run the ball, you've got him in at quarterback with Malik Davis there. They're they're totally expecting an option of some sort. And Malik oh, yeah, Davis absolutely. runs the seam and you've got, you know, burners like Tyree, you know, Kyle Pitts lining up at tight end. Hammond can fake the jet sweep because he's been successful with it. And then Van out on the right side running that outside release and totally drawing the corner off. That is the play that I want to see Emory Jones utilize. I'll show you yeah. the clip in a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's you got to get creative and you got to take that shot. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And um, we've seen time and time again, Emory is an accurate thrower, mm-hmm. and Mullen has said it multiple times. Every time Mullen's asked about Emory, he always says this. He says when when you look at him as a recruit, he was not listed as a dual threat guy. He was listed as a thrower, right? Because he's a really good thrower, mm-hmm. and he's fast, and he can run. Oh, wow. He's big open. I just showed Graham the play for that little bit of dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He's big open. If you guys are curious about the play, go on my Twitter. Uh, look from Tuesday. I quoted it and said the Gators should run this with Malik Davis at tailback. It's quite the play. And, um, you know, why let him throw to Kyle Pitts down the seam? Mm-hmm. I mean, Kyle Pitts' catch radius is from here to California. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, either one of us could hit Kyle Pitts on a route and be decently accurate. He's The dude's six foot six. Like, Emory can hit these throws and... And I like him making these throws. And I yeah. think that he he's going to face light coverages because they're so scared of him running. Right. So, I mean, I don't think we're breaking any news here. I think this is a lot of takes that a lot of people have. But um, I do I do think one thing. Um, I don't love – it happened against Tennessee, and it happened kind of in that 
that one drive where Emory came in and they went three and out against LSU. I don't love when he comes in just to hand the ball off. That yeah. kind of feels useless to me. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, don't get me wrong. If it's a read option and the um, the defensive end of the linebacker stays, then then you hand it off, obviously. Right, of that, like That's the point of the play. Right. And I get that. But if you're not going to drop him back and let him run at least like a QB draw right. or something where he is carrying the ball or throwing the ball, then why are you having him in there? Right. It's the same thing as the opposite. Like, why is Kyle Trask in there to run quarterback runs? Right. It's like that personnel thing doesn't make a whole bunch of sense to me. And I get I get some of it is, is just to keep the defense honest, but I think the defense is already reading it so hard that you may as well just go with it anyway. Yeah. Or set the defense off in other ways, such as letting Emory throw the ball. Absolutely. So, that, that I, again, I don't think that Zach and I are breaking some huge news here, but I, we I, I do think— We are the people that—no offense if you listen to us from Facebook— we're breaking some news to people on Facebook. Yeah, the the, the don't put Emory in people. Oh, my God, man. It, it, Kyle deserves every snap for all he's had to battle through. Yeah, I don't like that. It's like that's ju- you're just being emotional. It's like, okay, just because a guy did. I mean, Felipe Franks didn't deserve to get hurt. But yeah, Kyle, does, but, Fili- does Felipe Franks deserve his job back if Kyle Trask, like, continues to play the way he does because right. he was hurt. Right. No, and it's this like, is football. Right. And it's like Felipe Franks had an amazing four-game stretch to end last year, and he got hurt. He didn't deserve to get hurt, but but, but it happens. Stuff happens. Just because someone deserves something doesn't mean anything in college football or in the NFL. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I don't love that take, but... Um, but it's Facebook. <laughs> it's Facebook. Let's move on to South Carolina. We got a... Game to preview. This team is three and three, two and two SEC. Obviously, fresh off of their win over the formerly number three Georgia Bulldogs, so not a team that Florida should be taking lightly at this point. The Fighting Will Muschamps. Uh, obviously, you know this team is headlined by two things. One is the Will Muschamp defense. Two being Ryan Holinsky in the performance that he's had. He's going to play this week. They've already said that they're preparing for both quarterbacks, but they have an understanding that Hilinski will play. He's been good. You know, for a true freshman quarterback to come in, he looks better than Bentley did. Yeah, I mean, the kid can play. I mean, absolutely. he's he's good. So, like, it's pretty rare for Will Muschamp to have good quarterback play. Right. So, yeah. Now, um, I mean, he he's really, you know, he looks like a freshman throwing the ball, if that makes sense. He's not throwing deep much. If he is, it's to the middle of the field. Uh, hit or miss, especially beyond the 20. Um, he's going to make his money between 0 to 10 yards. We've talked about this with a couple quarterbacks. Joe Burrow certainly was able to do it. He was able to push, you know, a little bit deep every now and then, but yards after the catch was that was big against for LSU against this defense. It's a it's a death by a thousand cuts kind of style. Yeah, exactly, you know. It's it, it's very, you know, 5 yards, 5 yards, 5 yards, 5 yards, 50 yards. Right. That's what 5 Brian yards, 5 yards, 5 yards, 5 yards, 30 yards. It's just there's not the firepower obviously of LSU, so while he's good at that, I think, you know, I don't see Florida really struggling much, but it's not like they have a Jamar Chase to run up and down the field. Yeah, I mean, Brian Edwards is a good player. He, he's a really good player, but it's not like they have a Jamar Chase, a Justin Jefferson, all the other weapons that they had there. I can't tell you beyond when I look at their stats who really stands out for South Carolina at this point. 
Yeah, and that's typical of a of a Will Must cramp offense. So what about a Will Must cramp defense? I know you know a lot more about that than I do. Yeah, I mean at Florida those defenses were absurd. I mean most of those most of his defensive starters in the time he was at Florida are in the NFL. So And in the XFL. In the XFL. Leon Orr. You're not wrong. <laughs> well, not really a starter, I guess I should say, because he lost that and then caught a bus home. Yeah. But, I mean, so so here's the thing, though. If you watch Georgia-South Carolina, to me, I saw more Georgia red flags than I did South Carolina positives. Right. Watching that game, that was my take. But you're still going to South Carolina, which is a, which is a good crowd, by the way. Mm-hmm. At South Carolina isn't that that's an underrated SEC environment. Um, it, but anyone who's been there will tell you that it's a great crowd. That I mean, they especially against Florida. I mean, they're they're going to pack that thing. Like it, it won't be LSU, but it's going to be loud. Right. So I mean, Florida's tested for it, but it, I mean, you're still not dealing with you're still dealing with with a pretty hostile environment. Um, and they're going to sell out. So, I mean, they're, they're, it's going to be a big game as far as the the environment. And, again, it's it's just hard to win on the road in the SEC. That's just how it is. But, yeah, I mean, talent for talent. I mean, South Carolina's not even close to Florida. And the difference is between Florida and Georgia is Florida's got a good in-game coach. Georgia does not. I've been saying this for a while. I don't think Kirby Smart is a very good in-game coach. I don't think he makes good adjustments. I don't think he makes clutch decisions. I don't think that he calls the one or two plays that can be the difference in a close game. I don't think that Kirby Smart and his coaching staff are capable of doing that. I think Florida is. Yeah, I've been thinking for a while that that game was a lot closer to a push than what we were thinking it might be at the start of the season. Now that game's winnable. I think it's very winnable for Florida. I think it's gone from Florida could beat Georgia to Florida should beat Georgia, in my opinion. Yeah. That's that's gonna that's gonna be a little hot takey. Yeah, it might for, be for, for, for the casual listener, but Yeah, I it agree, might be, but, but I agree. But I mean listen, if LSU and Georgia played right now in Baton Rouge how much do you think LSU wins that game, first of all, for sure? Oh, it's not nearly as close as the Florida-LSU game. Yeah, exactly. It's, That's, not, it's, not, a, it's not a shootout. Yeah, I, I, I completely I completely agree. So, so that I mean, that's part of the reason that I've gone from Florida could win in Jacksonville to Florida should win in Jacksonville, but not to look too far ahead. With, with South Carolina, um, here's, here's the difference between Florida and Georgia, the biggest difference between Florida and Georgia, in my opinion as far as their coaching staffs. Kirby Smart has never shown anything in his tenure at Georgia that proves that he can win big games where the talent level between both teams is close. Mm -hmm. Kirby Smart only wins games where the talent is ridiculously stacked in his favor. This is why he can't beat Saban for the life of him. Because Alabama, in the past few years has been the one team that can match him pound for pound in talent. And usually the, the times that he's played Florida, he's had he's had the, the talent, the five-star talent, just stacked in his favor. Right. And even that first year they had the talent stacked in his favor and they still lost. 
right. to Luke Del Rio and company. So, I mean, again, like I know that Georgia's got all the talent in the world, but you look at this game in South Carolina, they had a couple things go wrong to start the game. They had a couple sloppy mistakes. They didn't play so well. I, I was thinking about it, and it, it reminded me a lot of Florida Vanderbilt last year in 2018, except it was in Vanderbilt. Georgia was playing at home. Um, but it was it was a noon game, kind of a sleeper, in between big games you're playing. It was hard to get up for. And Florida messed around and almost lost that game. Mm-hmm. But Dan Mullen is a really good coach, and he schemes some stuff up. He's also a fighter, if that game tells you anything. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. I, I just got what you're talking about. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, the difference is in that game, Mullen made adjustments, and Todd Grantham made defensive adjustments to stay in that game and claw back in it. Kirby and his staff don't do that. So all of that to say, if this Saturday when Florida's in South Carolina and, you know, an early Florida fumble happens or South Carolina goes down and scores in the first drive. I trust this coaching staff to make proper adjustments to fix it. And then I think Florida is just a more talented team than South Carolina, so they'll take care of business, even if they do have a slow start. Mm-hmm. So that that's why I have way more confidence in Florida winning this game, even though Georgia lost last week. That's kind of been my take this week for, for why Florida should go go up to Columbia and handle South Carolina pretty well. And this week's going to tell us a lot about Zach Carter, Chris Bogle, and Jeremiah Moon. You know, Moon's looked good this year, but he's always had someone on the field with him opposite edge. Zach Carter, you know, has flashed in moments, always had someone coming off the edge. Chris Bogle has flashed in moments, but it was either because he had someone with him or because it was late in FCS games. Um, this, I mean... Do you play Zuniga or Grenard this week, or do you keep them waiting for Georgia? I think you wait because I don't think you're going to need them against South Carolina. I think you dress them like they yeah. do with Zuniga versus Auburn. I, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. I think you dress them. And it was kind of like um, against LSU, Damian Pierce was dressed. Yeah. He didn't play, but he was dressed. Right. And I think it might be that kind of situation. And those guys are good team guys. I don't think they're – I think those are the guys who be like, yes, yes, coach, absolutely. Like, I will, I'll dress, I'll warm up, I'll do everything you need me to, I'll be invested on the sideline. Right. I'm not worried about those guys in that regard, and I think that's one thing that Florida can really look to for those guys. Even though they're hurt, they're still great leaders. Right. And I think that's big. That is big on a defense like this. Yeah. Um, and that's big in weeks like this where it might be hard to keep the focus. Right. In between LSU and Georgia, it's hard to keep the focus. Right. So – from that perspective, yeah, I wouldn't play them, and I wouldn't be too worried about not playing them. We'll definitely learn more about these guys. There was hype for coming into the season for Zach Carter. He's done some things, but he hasn't had a huge chance to really stand out either because everyone else has been doing such a good job. We'll see how Moon does with his containment. This will be the week where we really learn how much he's grown in that respect without someone being able to contain off the opposite side. It'll be, a, I mean, it'll be a decent test. Like you said, it's hard to win the SEC on the road. Um, now flipping it over, you know, for the Gators' offense, you know, this is relatively solid defense. You know, three picks last week by the same player. You know, that goes beyond just a little bit of luck. Whether you're playing Jake Fromm, who you know I think is a little bit overrated, but that's besides the point. Or not, um, this defense is pretty solid. There, there's. 
like you said, Will Muschamp defenses in general are are good, but these guys, you know, they've got some guys that can make some plays. I think the most important part is that they definitely can't get caught looking ahead to Georgia, like you said, how it's tough in between these two weeks because a defense like South Carolina's will expose that. It's not like Towson. Yeah, it's not a game where you can just play like garbage and just show up and win. Right. As we just learned last week with yeah. Georgia. Yeah. You can't just show up and win. Right. So, yeah, it's a big it's it's big from that perspective and I think that a couple things that there's a couple things that I want to see from the Florida offense. Um I this might be optimistic. I hope to see the best game of the year from the offensive line. I hope to see them play well. And maybe that's because they played they actually played a pretty decent game against LSU except Gene DeLance who was blocking ghosts. Yep. In one play. Picture but, of him on the ground while Kyle Trask was rolling out just kind of sitting there on his ass doing uh, it hurts. But um but overall yeah the, the line has um, the line looked a little better this past week, and uh, you know, I, I just I don't know. I, I feel like I just kind of have a hunch that they're going to come out and play their best game of the year. They're going um, against a test, though. Javon Kinlaw is pretty good. Yeah. So, so is the rest of their edge group. I mean, they've got three edges that are putting up nearly double-digit pressures. On top of Kinlaw's, just been, you know, a monster coming up inside the interior. So is this a game where they got to get the ball out quick? Then you think? I I think so, but it's not that that's been an issue. Like like we've seen, it's something that Kyle Trask is very strong with, getting the ball out quickly. Um, I was really impressed by his growth of handling pressure this past week. And Mullen said it wasn't some sort of emphasis. It was business as usual in practice, and yet, I don't know, it, it, it seemed a lot better to me. His pocket awareness was just much better. Yeah. He understood where he was in the pocket. Yeah. He... Um, I think he moved a little more too, which was the main thing. Yeah, he wasn't just a, a sitting duck like he was a lot of times against Auburn. Right. Um. So yeah, I mean, I'm looking for a touchdown or two from Kyle Pitts. One touchdown from Freddie Swain and slash or Josh Hammond. Probably a short yardage, five yard rushing touchdown from Piran. And you pretty much call it a day after that. I want a touchdown from Emory Jones, and I want it to be another throwing touchdown. To who? Jacob Copeland? <laughs> Is it too good sure. to be true to sure. go to Jacob Copeland? Sure, but at this point it doesn't matter to me. Cope caught some big catches against LSU, though. Yeah. He did. And he was playing early. Yeah, so um, is it too good to be true that Emory hits Jacob Copeland on like a 40-yarder? That'd be nice. How about Emory to Tyree? Oh, I wouldn't mind that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind that. Freshman senior. Yeah. Retro, has, redshirt freshman senior. Tyree hasn't scored yet, has he, this year? He has. He has. He scored against uh, UT Martin. That's right. Well, he hasn't scored this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see him score. Um, he hasn't scored against non-high school teams. I would like to see him score in some SEC action for his you know, final year, all that. Same thing with seeing guys like Van and Freddie and Hammond have their days throughout the year. And Grimes. Yeah, but Grimes will be here next Grimes year. Grimes has time. You're right. You're right. You're right. Grimes will be here next year. He, he's listening to the baby. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to Edgar last night. He was <laughs> he was asking me to spell the names of the rappers for his story. Uh, and he texted me after he said, "Hey, I just listened to the baby. He's kind of catchy." 
Shout out to Edgar. Uh, that was one of the funniest moments I think I've had covering this beat was that entire sequence of talking. Edgar. He goes up He goes up to Trayvon and he goes, hey, uh, you were talking about music. Have you ever heard of The Who? Trayvon goes, <laughs> The Who? <laughs> and proceeds to say, no, I listen to rap. Oh, that's so funny. It was pretty incredible. So I guess that's the baseline. If, if you don't feel like looking it up, just think if this person listens to baby or not. That'll tell you if they're an upperclassman or underclassman. Well, I'll tell you what, that definitely cleared up any speculation that Trayvon Grimes will for sure be a wide receiver one at some point. You know, once this room kind of settles down and some talent clears out, he's really going to emerge, and it's all because he listens to baby. Oh, it's 100% because he listens to baby. Yeah, as well as young Jeezy. Does Copeland listen to baby too? Because... I would like to know, uh, whenever we get to talk to Jacob Cope, honestly, I feel like we should ask the entire receiver group about this whenever we get the next couple. Um, I'll make sure to That's ask our next man. story. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> All right, what's your prediction for this uh, for this Saturday? Score prediction, give me a little bit of a... Uh, hmm. <laughs> On the road, offense played well last week. I'm pulling up the odds right now while you think about this. I think Mullen is going to protect some stuff in the playbook for Georgia, so I don't know if I love like a super high-scoring affair. Give me a 24-10 Gators. 24-10. Yep. So the internet here at UF sucks. It's not letting me, uh, it's not letting me pull up the odds. I, I'm trying to find it. Uh, I'd assume that the line is not – Drastic. I think I saw yesterday it's minus seven, Florida. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'm probably going to side with you. Nothing too high scoring. Good defense uh, on both sides of the ball. Um, huge test for Holinsky. I could see it going something like 23-13. Nothing too exciting. 23-13 yeah, just, feels about right. It's a game. That's South, all it is. South Carolina always just feels like a game. It's going to be, you know, a good win, but one that Florida really grinds out, if that if that makes sense. Still a double-digit win. Definitely won't be Auburn tough. Yeah, it's, a, like it's a Florida minus six and a half. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, Florida will cover. Um, yeah, I think that's about right, because I, I would say if, if this game were in Gainesville, it'd be like right around 10. Yeah. So I, I think six and a half is about right. Mm-hmm. Well, that should just about do it for us here today at the Gator Maven Podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure to go ahead and do that anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You can listen to Gator Maven. And, of course, make sure to go sign up on the site. Never miss an article. Get to engage on all of our content that we've got coming out over there. we got a lot of stuff. We've got our sideline recruiting reporter, Brian Smith, heading down to Lake Wales this upcoming weekend for the game between Lake Wales and Sebring. Naturally, he'll be observing two defensive line commits for the Gators, one being Gervin Dexter and the other being Johnny Brown. We're looking forward to checking out his coverage from that. He might be joining the podcast sometime next week to talk up some of his observations from recruiting. And you can find that in all of our other content over at Gator Maven at si.com slash Florida slash no slash college slash Florida. We'll catch up with you guys next time. <laughs>